The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Which is not a problem <laughs> if you weren't here for the first two. Um, the first week, the series is called Establishing a Practice. Right? So just sort of trying to cover a lot of um, basic things, teachings that uh, have really been supports for practice. And so it's teaching them, but not in a, a detailed way, more like an introductory way. And so the first week, we talked about wise understanding and, and wise intention. Um, and the second week, we talked about mindfulness on and off the cushion and the five hindrances and sort of um, five common things that interfere with our ability to be mindful. This week, uh, I'll be talking about establishing actions that support Dharma joy. So I think that they're all standalone. I think that you'll be fine. You're not going to get lost at all. Um, it's just sort of all the pieces that... Um, they're all different pieces that, that support, I think, give us a foundation for our practice. Like the first week is really about how to practice with suffering. Pretty important stuff. So you can listen to the recording if you want. Pretty much everything I've said in the talks will be on the handouts. So if you sign up for the handouts, I'll email them to you. You can read it, and you'll have all the information that I shared. <laughs> okay? All right. So, um, so you know, joy. I want to talk about Dharma joy tonight and sort of invite this idea that joy arises as a result of actions. So Dharma joy, I'm not talking about pump it up, try and make yourself happy. I'm talking about the joy that is a natural joy, sort of more of a a subtle well-being joy that comes when we feel good. We feel like, that was nice, or I did a nice thing. Or somebody was kind to me. Um, it's a joy that is like sometimes described uh, in some ways as the bliss, bliss of blamelessness. So that feeling of no, there's no burden, right? That we did our best kind of thing. So Dharma joy, I'm trying to emphasize here, we're not talking about simple happiness, right? Not just like, ha-ha, funny joke, or I'm happy because, um, you know, I have enough money in my bank, exactly. It's a different, it's a qualitative difference. It's not based on external things. It comes up, it arises from our own actions. And sometimes from the actions that we witness or experience around us. So with that in mind, let's take a little short sit. Maybe even inviting yourself during the sit to just, you know, just drop in this question. You can see what comes up. Just, is there something that comes up that you did that you can remember in the last day or two, week, month, year, however? 
where it was an act of goodness, an act of kindness, an act of non-harming. It could even be carrying a spider outside instead of killing it. Something like that. So just, if there's something like that, pausing extra long for somebody to walk across the crosswalk, moving really far to the other side of the lane for a bicyclist, just an act that was really intended to avoid harm, to create more safeness. Just bring it to mind. Small is great. Just maybe appreciate that act and the intention behind it. Maybe consciously breathe in a few breaths to that, to whatever it is you can appreciate and connect with. Taking a little bit more time with it than you might normally. And then if you'd like, you can just just sort of check in, take a few breaths, connect with your body, just arriving here, giving yourself permission to put aside all the activities of the day.
Feel free to stay inward. Do you all feel like you'd like a few more minutes to meditate? The room got very nicely quiet. I'm happy to take a little more time. Any thumbs up on that one? Everybody, was that a thumbs up, Mitra? Okay, let's take five more minutes. Let's just sit five more minutes.
That was lovely. Thank you all. Welcome. So this Dharma joy. And and this connection is to, um, you know, the ethical actions, which in in really in Buddhism is about non-harming. Non-harming. And so Gil wrote, the Buddhist emphasis on harmlessness is explicitly directed both toward oneself and others. So we don't leave ourselves out. We should not intend to harm ourselves, not intend to harm others, or both. Rather, we should intend to benefit ourselves, benefit others, and benefit both. For the whole world, really. So the ideal of harmlessness is literally referencing the absence of harm and, uh, you know, concern for ourselves and others. So that's one part, and I'll talk about some of the specific teachings the Buddha gave um, for these non-harming ethical actions. Another part that I want to talk about, and I'm going to start with, is that it's really healthy and, and really nourishing to connect with joy. It's like we need it. We need to feel okay. We need to take in the goodness. And in my experience, um, that's not always easy for people to do. I think that's partly because the negativity bias in the brain is oriented, our survival is oriented toward noticing threat, potential danger, or what we need to go and get. So um, Rick Hansen, uh, he's a Buddhist psychologist and neuropsychologist, and he coined the, f- the phrase, um, the negative sticks like Teflon, or sticks like uh, Velcro. You know how sticky Velcro is in the brain? It really grabs onto anything that's negative. And the good slips through like an egg on a Teflon pan. It just right on through. So the good stuff, this subtle Dharma joy, that can be more bubbly and can be very subtle. It's very easy for the brain to treat it like that fried egg. Flips in and out of the pan, gone, bye-bye. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. So uh, part of um, the invitation I'm going to be kind of inviting you tonight to think about is to make a commitment to take in the good. To take a, make a commitment to, to accept, receive, and nourish the joy. So, um, ethical actions really support joy arising because of like that idea of the bliss of blamelessness. When we haven't done anything wrong, and we know we've done things in a way that we feel okay about. We don't have to carry a heavy burden. We don't have to second guess. We don't have to spend a lot of time trying to make up for things. It's just lets us walk through life a little lighter. So it's um, the Buddha t- 
kind of taught trainings um, around uh, three areas in particular, speech, actions is a general category, and livelihood that support our walking through this life without feeling a lot of um, blame. And um, he he taught these things because they made him happier. They supported him. And with everything that the Buddha offers, this is um, not a commandment. So anybody who has any kind of uh, connection to some religious traditions where there's a lot of like sort of um, authority and you have to do this and you can't do that, the Buddha approaches this really differently. The Buddha says, come and see, engage with these practices, and see for yourself what happens for you. So paying attention to the impact of operating in certain ways and how that impacts your sense of well-being, your mind states, your heart states. So, you know, well, I'll share the guidelines, the rules, the ethical actions he recommends, but it's really important to hold them in this way of, I'm being invited to see what happens if I act in this kind of way and to notice the impact on myself and others, to notice how it affects my sense of well-being, my sense of feeling comfortable and close with others, how other people respond to me, um, how I, what happens when I sit down in my meditation. Yeah? Okay. Because I'm not going to teach them unless you agree. All right? <laughs> So the first is wise speech. And wise speech, um, I'll go into more detail later, but just very simply, it's speech that doesn't cause harm, is truthful, it's kind, and it's timely. So we don't we have to be thoughtful about when we say things, right? Um, wise action is um, another category. And there are three things to avoid, three actions to avoid. And those are not killing, not stealing, and not causing harm through sexuality. So it's not, you can't be sexual, it's don't cause harm through your sexuality. Yeah? And um, then the third category is wise livelihood. And essentially, uh, the Buddha taught that um, it makes a difference what we do for our our employment and our livelihood. And some of us are lucky and we have more choices and more options, and sometimes we don't. So, again, we'll, we'll practice on the continuum with doing the best that we can. But ideally, we don't work in an area that involves um, making... Um, Weapons, right? Making and selling of weapons, things that cause and kill, cause killing and harm. Um, it means um, I wrote the I have the wrong list in front of me. Um, 
So butcher, like being a butcher and stuff like that, we try not to do those things, you know, not having to, to, do, to kill either animals, people, and the trade of people, sex trade or other ways of smuggling people. Like those are the kind of big categories that we want to avoid. And then, you know, we each will come into our own work environment and, you know, there's a whole continuum of harming and non-harming that happens in work environments and what, what a company does and how it affects the environment. There's a lot of subtleties. But the big ones are just, you know, not, not contributing to the killing or the ways to kill, right, or to trade or harm people and animals. Does anybody want me to say any more about those things right now, or does that feel like good enough? Good enough, yeah? Great. Okay. So one of the big supports for walking through life in a way that's non-harming is being mindful. Pretty much there isn't anywhere we can go. There's nothing that we can do that we won't be supported by being mindful. The opposite of mindful is being in automatic pilot, being checked out, right, just on sort of go and, and not pausing and checking in and noticing how we're doing and how we're showing up, right? And some of the, the, in some ways, the trainings around wise speech and wise action help us bring and grow our mindfulness because we start to, especially speech, right, internal speech too, <laughs> you know, like what are we saying in our heads? How are we talking to ourselves? How are we talking about somebody else, even if it's silently? Like we can really start to practice observing that with mindfulness. And with this commitment to not wanting to harm, we can start to see how when we're talking in our own minds, even if we're not saying it out loud, but we're thinking, you know, in harsh ways, who feels the harshness? We do. The person that we're upset with or the people, they don't feel that. We're feeling it. I mean, maybe if we're around them and we're, exuding hate vibes, you know, people pick up and, and that's not good. But we're still hurting ourselves when we're doing, doing that and they're feeling it, right? And so um, mindfulness strengthens, it's like a muscle that helps us kind of be able to respond instead of react in life. And, you know, sometimes um, different situations call for different kinds of responses. So it's not like there's a a blanket way to be in this world. So we need to constantly be present, and be assessing and viewing what's happening so we can respond or restrain ourselves or, or act. Sometimes it's actually the opposite. It's like we need to get ourselves to do something because we see something that's happening that's harmful and we know we can do something to help. And sometimes we're afraid, but, you know, if we... If we if it feels safe enough, and we can, we need to help ourselves take action. All right. So that's kind of the summary of the kind of teachings. And now I'm going to shift to kind of talking about um, more practice tips. And then I want to spend some more time talking about um, why speech. So it's a big one. And... We'll do breakout groups, and I'd like to kind of review for you mindfulness of speaking and listening, and you can practice it when you're talking to each other. All right. 
<clears throat> so, um, I mentioned this earlier, but one really important thing that can help us and reinforce our efforts to be mindful and to, to practice non-harming is to take in the good. Like, to literally say, okay, <laughs> it's like, Okay, I'm going to make myself a nice cup of tea. It's really delicious. Here it is, my favorite. And then we don't drink it. You know? Like so it's like we got to we're going to make the tea, non-harming tea, and then drink it. Like enjoy your cup of tea. Enjoy the benefits of your effort. And that's what will reinforce it. That's part of what helps us kind of recondition ourselves, if you will recondition what is habitual, often reactivity, irritation, impatience, you know, consuming into more thoughtfulness, more pausing, more reflecting, more caring, more open-heartedness, those kinds of qualities. So, um, there's a, uh, if I can... This is just a free association to my mind, but there, I just got this uh, invitation to a workshop, um, and it's something like you know, resting or napping is the ultimate act of rebellion. Right? I, I really like that. You know, it's like it, it's important to rest. Joy is important. Being at ease is important. Taking your breaks at work is important. <laughs> Very important. You're not you're not doing anybody any favors to not take your breaks, you're, because you're just going to tire yourself out. You're not going to be able to be really present for yourself, let alone anyone else. <clears throat> so take in the good, take it in. Another thing, it's really reinforcing to um, take and notice moments of choice versus reactivity. It's it's so easy to walk away and think oh, I should have done it even better, if I'd only done it differently, or or oh that was no big deal, you know. It's like no 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 no. Every time we consciously choose to do something, we're you know with this intention, these intentions of non-harming, these intentions of being mindful, and we we come into a moment where we get to choose, like we say. No, it might be to the extra cookie, or no to, you know, maybe the next, you know, click link on the internet, or, um, you know, just the the little ways in our lives that we stop and we say, no, I don't need to keep chasing this, you know, or I don't need to ask this person for another favor, right? These are all choices, um, or instead of lashing out at somebody when they say something to you you don't like take a breath <laughs> and you pause and you wait and you wait till you're not feeling motivated by the anger right so that you'll speak more differently more choicefully so choice is a superpower there's a um there's a woman called Molly Doodles or something like it she does she does Buddha doodles. You can find her if you Google Buddha doodles. And she sends out these emails with these little doodles. And she says, she has a little Buddha with a superhero cape, and her cartoon says, Choice is a superpower. 
I think it's really incredibly true. It's a huge, huge power for us to have choice. Another tip is um, to, you know, I I wrote the word celebrate small benefits, the small changes, the small things that you see, the small movements. Okay, so, you know, this week you sat five and a half times instead of five. Great, (laughs) right? Like, um, just... You know, oh, I I was able to pause a little bit longer. I didn't speak quite as harshly. Great. Great. We can get so fixated on um, being critical and thinking we didn't quite do it well. Think about this. Our attention, that is like the most precious commodity we have our attention, what we pay attention to. And what we pay attention to grows in us. So if we spend our time criticizing ourselves for not quite doing it well enough, we're focusing on the negative parts instead of on the useful, helpful Beneficial parts. Yeah? Okay, I'll ch- oh, this is something I do a lot, so you'll probably have heard me say this before. But if I tell you not to think about a chocolate chip cookie, don't think about how they smell, taste, don't think about what kind you like, soft or chewy, just, just ignore me, right? Can your mind help but know what I mean and start to think about chocolate chip cookies? Not really, right? It, it, you know, and and try not to think about them now. Focus really hard. I'm not going to think about what they look like. We're giving all of our attention to something we don't want to be focusing on. Instead, this is the idea of like, okay, well, let's bring our awareness, that precious commodity that we have, and let's turn it toward what we do want to grow in ourselves. Give our awareness to what we want more of, what we appreciate, what's beneficial. Very, very important. Very important. All right. Um, One other thing that, well, one other thing to talk about before I move into talking about why speech is emotions. How do emotions impact your ability to be responsive versus reactive? All right, where's the microphone? I want to hear some examples of how emotions impact. And so, um, thank you, Sage. Who would be willing to say something about how emotions impact the likelihood, what kinds of emotions impact the likelihood that you're going to harm somebody else? Let me put it that way. Come on, peoples. Like this. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you just let your emotions get to you, you lose that pause. And it's really easy to just react 
uh, oftentimes negatively to something someone says or does or just something that's around you. Um, but it's pretty hard to not be emotional about things oftentimes. Right, and that's not the goal. It's not the goal to, be, to not be emotional. Emotions are an incredibly important part of our lives. They're what makes our lives rich and full, and it's part of what creates a lot of meaning. But to not be ruled by our emotions is what mindfulness can help us with. Right? And, and so it's the, you know, maybe you're talking specifically, Brian, to how it's, you know, you don't want to get angry, but you get angry. And it, it's going to happen, right? And then it's really hard. You don't want to get angry because you don't want to say mean things or impatient things or whatever. So let's, one of the things I'll do for the guided meditation later is a practice to work that can help us work with emotions. So they're to give ourselves some skills and tools. So those of you who are familiar, it's the raft practice. So we'll do a guided raft practice. But um, we need to learn how to be with them. Recognize them earlier rather than later, hopefully, you know, before they grow in us and get stronger and stronger. And how to relate. Each of us have to learn for our own selves how to relate wisely with different emotions. Some of us have more comfort and less comfort with different emotions. We're all unique, right? We have different patterning, different role models around what emotions trigger what kinds of things. So we, got, we all have to come and see for ourselves. But working with emotions is huge and, and being able to not harm ourselves and not harm others. Yeah. Anybody else want to say anything else about how emotions what you notice about how they can impact your movement toward harming. Uh, more a question. Um, so if you're um, mindful enough to realize that there is a difficult emotion, it uh, seems to me that it's maybe it's wisest at least to just stay away while that emotion's strongest, rather than being in touch with situations that you can cause harm. Say more, Mitra. Like, when would you decide that that seemed like a good idea, and what might you do? I should stay in my room and not come out. Stay in your room and not come out. And when would you decide to stay in your room and not come out? Before I say things, before I come out and... <laughs> Okay, so so you have an opportunity. So maybe you're in your room and you're seething, you're upset about something, and you can see yourself rehearsing mentally. You ever do that? Planning. I can. I'm going to go up, and I'm going to say blah blah blah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not always that easy. I mean, I I do have to come out eventually. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. Just take more time. Let's say you don't have very much time. What could you do that might help you when you do walk out? I mean, the only thing I can think of is be so close in touch with how, you, how I feel um, 
so I don't react. Yeah, there's something beautiful about what you said yeah. there, Mitra, about be so close to what I'm feeling. There's a, you're not just talking about feeling your feelings, but there's a, maybe like an intimacy with yourself, mm-hmm. like witnessing and caring about how hard mm-hmm. you're, mm-hmm. how it's feeling right now inside of yourself. Yeah, but on, at the same time, keeping in, um, keeping in mind that my goal is not to harm. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's right. No, and I, I never I, do that. I'm, I can now say it. Well, that's not that true that you to, don't ever do that. <laughs> no, okay. It's not true. Okay. <laughs> I can't lie to you. <laughs> I can't lie to me. And remember, notice, are you doing, when you say it like that, right? Are you following mm. the negativity bias? Yeah, for sure. Right? And so you're going to grow mm-hmm. witnessing and stomping mm-hmm. in that land. And do, do you want to do that? No, but I never knew about that. I mean, re- till the last few years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you. Anybody else want to say anything? Yeah, good. Caroline. Uh, I was just thinking about what other people had said, but there's also, I find myself uh, meeting the emotion that I'm getting approached with sometimes and getting reactive there. Yeah. Because it's, you know, although maybe I have some training to be like, okay, pause for a second before you respond, maybe. Um, But when someone is coming at me with anger or fear or whatever it is, it's really hard to not just automatically get there um, and become reactive that way. That's a tough one. Thank you, Carol. And I think that's really true. Emotions are communicated. They're contagious, you could call them, right? You can feel it when somebody comes into a room. Sometimes they'll change the vibe. You know, everybody gets, you know, really feels it. Yeah, so number one, knowing that that happens is really important. And so, you know, practicing mindfulness might be, oh, look, at I'm recognizing what's happening. And and then for me, there's a boundary exercise of like, okay, that's not me. That's not how I was feeling, right, before. Like, okay, this is their feeling. They can have their feeling. That's the other part. It's really easy to want them to stop. <laughs> and, you know, we don't get to control that. We, 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 you know, so we get to work with ourselves. Like, okay, I, I don't need to own that. I don't have to become that. And sometimes that's enough, and sometimes it won't be enough because it's you get attacked. Maybe you know somebody says something harshly to you. Um, but staying close. This the whole point of mindfulness is to stay close to our experience, to keep witnessing, so that those it, we don't just get carried out. And we might. And then we come back. And then we might, and we come back. Just don't stop coming back. Don't give up. Don't ever, ever give up. It's always possible to come back. Always. And over time, with the practice, you, people get better at it. It gets easier. Part of it is um, it is really like a muscle, right? that we grow, we get better at knowing our emotions. Emotions are, 
motivational systems. They want us to take action, you know. So we, our body starts to move. So this is where that mindfulness, the growing, the power of mindfulness, we can start to be that close to what's happening that we don't get carried out before we see it. Yeah. So, okay to shift? Just to talk, um, sort of start moving into getting ready for the breakout groups and... Um, I think I'll just go through this kind of quickly because I'm a little behind and I want to give you time in your groups. So part of non-harming is when we come into these groups and we share with each other, We, the idea is to like agree that we're going to keep each other's, what we say, in confidence. So, you know, that's just a, a kindness that we offer each other, right? So this is just an idea of how do we bring this practice into like active use in the space so maybe you learn something a tool you want to share but maybe you don't share about a person in particular and what they told you about that's personal about themselves another thing in the small groups is um, to consider that um, if somebody wants suggestions, they can ask, but that our, our, we're not here to give advice. We're here to witness, to listen, to support. If somebody asks for advice, speak from personal experience. Like, I have found this helpful, right? These are ways of, again, just another way of trying not to harm. Being really conscientious about your language and avoiding... Avoiding things that can make somebody feel uh, like their identities are being called out in some way or another. Like, you know, we have, you know, every, some, who knows what is attached to somebody's identity. But when we start to call out people's identities, we can easily move into territory that um, can cause somebody to feel unsafe, unwelcome, or even if it's their own story in their head about themselves. So just being super sensitive, like, we're just people, like, if people, you know, like, I want to put it like that. How can I put this? Just let people share what they want to share and try and take it in and be as respectful with it as you can. Does that make sense? Okay. Um... Let's see. When you have, um, when you're talking, if something comes up that you're sharing that has to do with a, a trauma, a very significant, difficult experience in your life, use headlines. Kind of like, I had this really difficult experience as a kid, but don't go into the details. And the reason is because you can trigger yourself going into the memory, and you can trigger somebody else who maybe has similar stories. So the headline idea is you can reference these things, but to to keep yourself regulated, keep it simple. Keep it simple. All right. So um, I think it would be good to break into groups, and then I'll give some more um, tips. But I think it feels like we need to like shift movement a little bit. 
So how about um, groups of three to four? And you can just um, cluster. If you know people, I, I encourage you to get in a group with different people. Um, you don't have to, but that's the encouragement. Okay? So find three or four people. Just kind of cluster. And um, when you're settled, I'll, I'll offer more. <laughs> nice work. Oh, look at that. Okay, there. Oh, and we got somebody else. Come on in. Just join a group. We're just getting started with the small groups. All right, so um, I'll invite you to introduce yourselves in a second. Um, but to practice mindfulness of speech... Know you're talking when you're talking. Kind of, oh, I'm talking as you're talking. And when you're listening, know you're listening. I'm listening. Um, it's easier to stay mindful if you talk a little slower and quieter. It's easier to stay connected to your body and easier to know what you're going to say before you say it. As you're, you know, like, I don't mean planning. I mean as the words come out. Does that make sense? Okay. Pay attention to feeling of relaxation or agitation. Just being mindful. Like keeping, whether you're talking or listening, always keeping like 50% of your awareness internal. Always keeping enough mindfulness with yourself, even when you're listening, to track what's happening in your body. And noticing the impact of what's been shared after you speak or listen. Just just letting yourself, oh, we're a little bit like a bell, you know? <laughs> Things come in and they resonate. They move around us. They affect us. So can you feel? Can you feel the vibration, the impact? All right. So um, what I would like to invite you to do is um, I'll give you all these instructions before you start. One, please share your names or, and where you live or something simple. Your favorite color, maybe those three things. Um, and then, um, one at a time, I'll have you go around in the circle and share one to two sentences at a time, like not a paragraph. And the question that you'll be discussing is, what are you inspired to do to support more joy? Of all the things that we've been talking about, and maybe things you've heard elsewhere, having to do with this idea of um, non-harming and taking in the good. What are you inspired to do? What would you like to see yourself doing differently? Yeah? Any questions? Great. So go ahead and start with just a, a go-around with introductions. 
and um, and then you can one at a time just pop put in the circle like your one or two sentence idea and then you can add more when it comes back around and then add more and let yourself be impacted and inspired and changed by what you hear along the way okay please begin Just to bring 
how is it feeling? Does it feel like it's a one more go round, or you feel you're good? You feel like you shared the most important things? You got it. You got it. Absolutely. How about one one more minute? Okay. We use the raft practice with difficult emotions, but tonight I'm actually going to invite you to use how you're feeling, something that came good that was inspiring for you during this little practice tonight and sharing and connecting. And the handout has the instructions. Don't worry, you'll have plenty of opportunities to practice with difficult emotions later. <laughs> so if, if you feel so inclined, my invitation to you is to choose to savor and focus with this practice on something, you know, some level of joy, ease, relaxation, validation, comfort, care, connection. All right, so coming into your body. So we've been listening and sharing. A certain amount of our awareness energy goes out. So let's invite it in. Invite it in. And with each breath, you might just invite more and more of a settling. I often feel like I'm a snow globe. I'm all shaken up, and then I set myself down, and I, all the little snowflakes start to settle. Maybe take three longer, slower, deeper breaths. <sighs> and just sort of almost like you're looking around in a space taking it in, sort of look around and recognize what emotional tones and energies are present in your heart right now, in your body. And sort of just maybe gently naming them, lightly naming them. And when you find one that you want to work with, tonight in this practice, invite it to come sit next to you. The first part of the practice is our recognizing. Really just the simple practice of naming, recognizing, kind of like this little bow, I see you, to the feelings emotional state, the energies. The A in raft is allowing, allowing space for these emotions. And our tendency is maybe not to give enough room to the good ones, to the joy, to the ease. 
So if it works for you, creating space, a sense of allowing whatever you decided to work with. Allowing it to be felt, be seen, be expressed. The F in raft is to feel it. Find and feel the emotion in the body, how it's expressed. Is it vibratory? If so, it might be subtle or it might be coarse. Does it spread or is it like a solid in a block? Is there warmth or coolness associated with the feeling in the body? Trying to tune into the felt sense of it, not the story around it. In a sort of an open-handed way, a receptive way. Emotions, emote, they want to move. A lot of times when we don't want to have a feeling, they get stuck, frozen. So when we're practicing in mindfulness with emotions, we're not trying to suppress our emotions. We're trying to be generous in giving them space. Trying to take good care of them. To let them know we feel them. To let them touch us. As we breathe in and we breathe out. When we're doing the raft practice, we move from the F to the T. The T is about teasing apart. And this is when we start to maybe work with more of the mental activity, the stories, the memories, the associations, the fears, the hopes, the beliefs. And sort of try and disentangle things often when they're difficult. If you're working with a pleasant emotion, a positive feeling, it might be that you want to sort of see, invite yourself to see and name what thoughts, beliefs, or approaches supported the arising. the well-being, just honoring the conditions. If you're working with something that feels more tricky and difficult, I like to imagine a huge table with lots of chairs. And the different parts, 
that are happening, the story, the memory, the belief, the fear, they can each have their own chair at the table. And you can put the ones that are difficult at the far end of the table. You don't have to have them close to you. It's okay. They can be there. There's lots of room. So we're, we're just sort of um, taking our experience and letting it be seen piece by piece, thought by thought, memory by memory, just allowing it all to kind of unravel in a way, to loosen up, for each part to have its own space. And when you're ready, the next part, there's another T, and that's the trust. And this is, this is the part where we say, what can I trust here? Is it, can I trust my knowing? Can I trust that feelings come and go? Do I trust a sense that by paying attention to Things, I'll have more choices. Do I trust that emotions are natural? They're part of the human experience. And finding something to rest in that you trust. So we'll sit together for another five, six, seven minutes or so. And you can keep working with the raft practice or you can just simply practice with mindfulness of breathing or sensation or sound, open awareness practice, whatever, whatever is right for you right now. If you want to do raft again with something new, Just, it's recognize, allow, feel, tease apart, and trust. That's the process.
Is anybody willing to be the microphone microphone bearer, Mitra? So Sage, you don't have to jump, but Mitra will do it. Oh, great. We can maybe have two of them. (laughs) So um, what did you notice? What did you discover in the the practice, the raft practice? What what came up for you? What did you see differently? What do you have questions about? Great. And and Rose? Hello. Good evening, everyone. I think for me, what came up was just the feeling of, you know, to quote Brene Brown, am I enough and everything? And whether or not what I'm doing is is it good enough? And do I have to do more? Should I do less? And like, I tried to tease it apart, like, and I think it was self-doubt, insecurity. I have to do more to, to, to showcase that I'm competent in what I'm doing, and it's, it's a lot of pressure and suffering that I've, that's self-imposed. And I know I could not do that, but, and having that awareness of that is, is very, it's very liberating. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, I, I know that I have it, but how can I just be with it and not try to control it? Because the other emotion or thing that I was feeling was the need to control and have everything a certain way. And yeah. when it's not my way, I'm like, mm. Yeah. And it, so, yes, that's it. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. And, um, I mean, you know, sometimes we just do this one minute at a time. It sounds like you gave more time to these parts than you have. Right? Letting them, kind of letting yourself see, oh, and I get to choose. (laughs) Yeah. And it really kind of the way the mind works is it's always doing this stuff, right? It's always doing this stuff. So it's it's like each moment we're just going to keep coming and trying to notice and keep finding ground, choice. It's a process. And the, as you stop automatically doing all of those things all the time, it's like... Um, my theory is the way they talk about um, neurosynaptic connections is, you know, a neuron, you start and it has a bunch of branches where it can make a bunch of connections. And um, where you don't make connections, where you don't reinforce them or keep using them, they, they go away. They just fade. It's by not using them that they lose their power or capacity to make connections. So it's a lot of it is about restraint. And that's where the other part of shifting toward what do you want to do instead is helpful. Redirecting. Instead of trying to stop something, we just let it be, try not to engage in it, and choose something else to to do sometimes. So thank you. Thank you. Ben, thank you. So I'm not sure how much of what I 
what what what's happening to me is related to this class or or the or the classes that I've taken prior to this. But uh, one thing I've uh, come to conclusion with that is this idea of being present. I don't know if there's anybody who's always able to be present. So I've given up on that. But I'm aware I'm not present. That's the, <laughs> that's the only thing that uh, I think is my takeaway. So I am I'm figu- trying to figure out the best I can yeah. be at the same when I'm not present, which is pretty much most of the time. Mm. Anyway. Um, so let me just make sure I, 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 I got you right, Ben. So uh, you kind of are reflecting that it, you don't know anyone who's constantly always 100% of the time present. That people tune out, they drift off, they get distracted, that people aren't always 100% present, yeah? Yes. I think that's the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, and then I think you said, and so you have, so did you say, so I want to be available? Did you say something? So what I'm saying is that I've accepted that uh-huh. it's not, not going to happen. Don't have to be perfect. It's just not going to happen. So, but try to be aware that that's the case. That's Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. And, you know, there's things that we've been talking about that we can do to start growing more and more of those times that we're aware. So, like, we were talking, I think it was last week, about, like, choose an activity, a daily life activity, like brushing your teeth or making the bed or making coffee, where you normally wouldn't be very aware. But you start, you make it a practice that every day, okay, I'm going to be super aware when I'm doing this. And you get you grow it, and you start to do it automatically, and then you might be ready to add another thing. I was um, I, doing this week. I've been playing with setting my meditation timer for like ten minutes, and doing my daily life activities while the timer's going, trying to keep in mind the timer's going, and so that it's not like this one thing, but it's whatever's happening in that ten minutes. But with that kind of hopefully remembering that I've got the timer going, I'm being mindful, and then the bell that will ring. So there's different ways to kind of grow, and there's ways to give up. You know, there's certain things that are going to make you less and less mindful, and that's important to pay attention to, too. What makes you tune out more? What makes you less mindful? Um, Yeah, thank you so much, Ben. Anybody else willing to share? Great, Nathan. Yeah, I had some parts of me that, you know, tend to vex me, you know, throughout the day. And it's interesting how they don't show up at the table when they're doing this. And I'm wondering, where are you guys? You know, you're, you're safe to be out here. Come on, you know. So um, this is a recurring thing for me, and 
when I come to the meditation center, usually I'm perturbed by a lot of things out there, but when I come in here, it's feel safe, you know, everyone's nice here, and so I settle, and it seems too easy in here, and it's like, okay, well, I'd like to use the space to kind of engage with this stuff at the same time, and it's sort of hard to get the rest of parts of me along in the program, I guess. Well, what might be intelligent about what's happening? What what might might there be some wis- wisdom at work here? I don't know, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering. Mm-hmm. So, how often in your life do you feel like you're around really nice, safe, kind of cozy people <laughs> in a room where you feel like okay, you know, like there's something special to me about coming to this space? Mm-hmm. And knowing people's intentions here and that they're wanting to be awake and non-harming, that's pretty sweet, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe when you're here, it's really good to let your system relax. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need that. Maybe we need that. And and then maybe maybe as you do more of the practice or i don't know what you'll it'll show up when you're out there and you're being vexed mm-hmm. or you can invite yourself to practice when you're vexed mm-hmm. i don't know is that resonating at all nathan i hope so <laughs> eventually it'll show up yeah. yeah okay the good you know i don't know i just Taking in the good when it comes up, when it shows up. Mm-hmm. And it's a gift. So, I know you want to do your work, but maybe mm-hmm. this is the work. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is letting yourself have peace and ease for a little bit. Thank you. Yeah, great. Um, something I've been working on is um, create a, creating a sense of safety for myself, um, especially with regards to um, uh, challenging bodily sensations that I feel a lot of aversion to. And so, um, you know, when I'm not fe- feeling safe in my body, noticing that and... Um, um, relaxing and feeling the feeling the effects of the practice and appreciating that I'm like creating this safety for myself and appreciating that safety that I feel um, inside myself. Mm. It sounds like a serious practice. Um, trying. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. It's very inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, what you just said really resonates with me too. I feel like um, I invited worry in and feeling the sensations in my body. And I know I've been really working on trying to also feel safe in my body. And just that idea of allowing the places where I feel worry in my body. I've had this tingling sensation in my hand and my neck and 
just allowing for that and letting it be okay. And my mind went to, I want it to go. How do I get rid of this? And that's like my tendency, I think, is to Mm -hmm. not want to feel those things. And Mm -hmm. so that became aware. I became aware of that and how I kind of drift away and then come back into my body. It was like just being a witness to that whole process that I went through. Wow. That's great. That's great. Learning how to stay. So maybe we'll, if no one's jumping up, maybe we'll just do a, our final little sitting before we end for the night. So finding your, your meditation posture, sitting up for yourself, for your own experience, showing up fully, right, in this breath. And taking a moment to reflect on any of the benefit, any part of the benefit from being here tonight. And taking it in, letting the good in. And imagining that good moving through you to someone else. And it moving from them to somebody else, and just it's spreading. The goodness of our practice, may it be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you.